and you are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. You are joined by myself, Lawson, got across from me, awesome co-host for today, filling in none other than Blair Lemke, getting it done in The Breakfast Show studio here at Faith FM. And we are going to have our next and penultimate question for the quiz guys this is your second last opportunity to get in there'll be one more question after this and then that's it the archaeology of the biblical times you you won't be afforded any more opportunities to get in so probation is closing very soon the door is the, the the gap is widening Answer these last couple of questions to get in for the draw. Hey, give it to us, Blake. Mate, you've sold it really well there. The question is this. Zimri was the shortest reigning king of northern Israel, and I think that's referring to time there, not yes. height. Yes. Uh, so just to clarify that, yes. um, we don't have any information on the height Particularly of the because we have the, the, the number that is representing whatever it may be, yeah. and if, if he was... This height, then he definitely wouldn't have been yeah. the shortest. Yeah. So, so, so let me so, let me give that question to you again. Zimri was the shortest reigning king of northern Israel. How many days did he reign? Is the question. One hundred percent. If you know the answer to that one, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Again, that's zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. And of course, if you answer that question correct, we'll go into the draw to win our amazing prize, unveiling the kings of Israel, revealing the Bible's archaeological history by David Down, which is just a fantastic resource to have so that you can know, hey, what are we digging up from the ground that is proving the Bible to be true? This is literally, you know, we're, we're digging up these artifacts. They're worth more than gold, literally. Like, you know, one of these, you know, whatever they may be, where whether it's Cyrus Cylinder or the Nabonidus Cylinder or the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever it may be. These are priceless artifacts. And the common th- theme throughout all of them is that they prove the Bible to be true. And so if you guys want this book, which will be a fantastic resource, I think, also to use to, to get information from to have on hand when say someone challenges you and says ah christianity that's a myth or that's made up or the the bible's a fantasy book you can say to them well actually it's fantastic because this the bible is actually proven to be a historical document that's historically accurate so guys we want to give you the opportunity to get this again that question was simply how many days did zimri reign for zero four nine one zero six four Six six nine, and talking about giving answers to tough questions as well. We had a fantastic interview just now with Mary Collier from uh, Right to Life, the organisation there, who are just doing an absolutely awesome work and a great service in both the political uh, action and lobbying sense of trying to overturn legislation or overturn proposed bills that are pushing towards the the non-sanctity of life. And I love how it's in a number of ways as well. It's not just abortion, but also in regards to euthanasia too, which is a huge issues that we've covered here on The Breakfast Show. Uh, so they're doing it in a political sense, but then also in a personal sense as well. And that's what this conference is all about. And you've got in front of you there, Blair, a bit of a schedule with a bunch of different speakers. Can you point out some of those for us? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, of course, uh, Dr. Joanna Howe, who we spoke about briefly. There's uh, Dr. Marion Harris, a medical doctor, and she'll be speaking about the difficulties of being pro-life in the medical field. Wow, wouldn't that be uh, a topic to listen in on? Uh, Of course, yeah, some of the, uh, yeah, being able to try to have that position. I, I know of a, a doctor that 
was almost under disciplinary action uh, for for kind of referring and not acting on some of these requests. So, yeah, that one would be really interesting. Uh, there's some other great presenters. There's a, a Monica Dumit. She is uh, really involved in public affairs and communication. She was actually the communication manager of the uh, the the No uh, for Redefining Marriage in 2017, the marriage plebiscite, mm. and kind of built the advertising campaigns to try to preserve the definition of marriage at the time and she's high up in the catholic church organizing their campaigning on that level as well so it should be great in terms of messaging and and how to get the message across in a positive way that speaks to the modern generation so a whole great lineup dr johnny skark um, um Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Dr. Elvis Ivan Seaman, and there's several other presenters, uh, Professors Margaret Somerville and others, that will absolutely be worth checking out, and mm-hmm. we'd encourage you to have a look. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, guys, it, it's a fantastic thing. And we, we also want to say that um, it, it, like the, the conference is running throughout the, the Sabbath, uh, you know, the biblical Sabbath on Saturday as well. And I think um, according to, to your convictions, you know, we, we would advise that you definitely spend time resting in God and resting in His Word, but also considering uh, the cause that they have there as well and trying to, if you were able to get these tickets, particularly if you were able to, to secure yourself some, some complimentary ones, doing your best to, to get along to at least some of this conference um, in an appropriate sense because it would, it would just be fantastic to, to be a part of um, this, you know, to, to be seeing how people are dealing with this pressing issue that very much affects and, and very much is in support of biblical themes, biblical ideas, biblical rights, um, and biblical advocation as well, which is something that we can absolutely participate in on the Sabbath. Yeah, so if you jump online, you won't get the free tickets because if you register online, you'll have to um, buy the tickets. But if you call today um, to to their office on 0393850100, Then just mention that you heard it on Faith FM and you can get free tickets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, you can do all of those things and you will be blessed. You are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We can see a lot of you guys sending in answers for the quiz and keep them coming in because we have an amazing prize to give you guys. But right now, it is time, absolutely, to get into a Bible study. And to consider, we've been going right throughout this week and looking at the story of Jonah. We basically covered the whole book. I think that's the awesome thing about the book of Jonah. It's four very short, concise chapters that cover Jonah's whole story, you know, beginning, middle, and, you know, the, the hero's journey, the struggle, the, the climax, and ultimately the resolve. And what we saw from Jonah's story is that Jonah had every excuse in the book to not be used by God to do his work. And yet, in the times in which he ultimately relents and says, okay, God, I'll be used by you, and in in, a, in an incredibly small sense, like God used him to do something amazing, and and by small sense I mean like in the ways in which he relented, he's like, all right, God, I'll bring a message of repentance to to Nineveh, our enemies, you know, who I just despise because they have attacked and tried to kill not only us but the rest of the ancient Near East, and you know, tortured all these people and whatnot. And he rocks up into into Nineveh the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and he says, 40 days, 
or you'll be destroyed by God. And all of these people repent. And, you know, all of the historical context that goes into that, looking at the fact that, you know, he rocked up on the shores of, of Nineveh, on the shores of Assyria, you know, being vomited out of the belly of a fish and the effect that, that would have had on the, the Assyrians who were vehement worshippers of Dagon and whatnot. Like, God had just worked all this situation in a sense that was, in, despite the many missteps of Jonah, Oh, he would have to be the worst evangelist in the Bible. Yeah, but in just, terms of ability, or de- maybe not ability, but delivery, <laughs> de- delivery and commitment to the message as well. But 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 then reaped one of the greatest harvests. That's right. So what what a message around you know us being a conduit for God to work through. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, and again, it, when we look at successful evangelism, and the question is like, what is successful evangelism? Is successful evangelism the amount of people that you win? Does that make you a faithful evangelist? And I'd say no. I, I think that the most successful evangelist of all time was Jesus Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And very much the reception of his message, both at the time in which he gave it and up to now, has been widespread persecution of those sharing it. Uh, at, at times, it has been success, but more often than not, it has been death and destruction. That's absolutely right. And in that sense, I think the measure of success is faithfulness. That's right. More than, you know, numbers. A- another fantastic example of successful evangelism is that of Noah, right? Noah brought the entire known world in his time, the antediluvian world, to the point of decision. None of them chose God. And only him and his family, he stayed faithful to his own message in which he preached. And he got on the ark and him and his family were saved. Those those eight souls were saved on the ark. And he was successful in that sense. You're listening to The Breakfast Show. Connect with us on 0491 And yeah, for, but for Jonah's sake... He is a a very, in a sense, unfaithful evangelist. But there is a point of time where, you know, he decides, he's like, ultimately, okay, God, I will concede. I will be faithful. You know, I'm at the lowest of my lows. I'll do what you've called me to do. And God uses him, yeah, to to find some of the most... One of the, to do one of the most amazing evangelistic feats, which is convince one of the biggest cities, metropolitan areas in the known world who were completely against God to ultimately repent and fast and, and choose him and for a period of time relent from the evil that they were committing, whether it be, you know, the wars that they were doing against God's people and against others or, you know, the awful pagan practices that they were participating in, whether child sacrifice or whatnot. But this is Jonah's story, right? And you, you work through there and you say, okay, at every step, Jonah was like, no, I'm not doing, you know, I'm not participating in God's message because I'm scared or I'm not participating in God's message because, you know, well, one of the high, highlights from this week was the false view that he had of God and of the message and of what was happening there. I'm not going to participate in God's message because of inconvenience, or I'm not going to participate in God's mission because of uncomfortable confrontations. But then finally, it gets, you know, his, uh, his, his amazing, the amazing feat takes place. His message gets out, which is simply to repent. And he's even unhappy about the results. He then, you know, walks out into the plane and watches the city not be destroyed. And he's, ing- and he's upset by it. He's like, God, like, why did they repent? And, and God gives him a very clear message like, hey, 
it is me has been working here. I've just used you simply as a vessel, but it has been me that has been doing the work on the hearts of the Assyrians who have been working up until this point to bring them to repentance. In stark contrast to Jonah's story, we are then going to highlight today Isaiah's story. And we're going to be reading about his the vision that he had in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. So would you be able to pick that up for us? Would you head over to Isaiah chapter 6? And we're just going to start reading in verse 1 and getting some perspective as to what's going on here in Isaiah's life and in the nation of Israel and Judea. That's right. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 onwards says, It was in the year King Uzzah died that I saw the Lord. Mm -hmm. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have a filthy lips, and I, I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Mm. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Mm. And I said, Here I am. Send me. Wow. Powerful passage. Let's make our way through here. So, firstly, we see chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah dies. Now, King Isaiah is an interesting character in the Bible. He starts off on a relatively good path. He's actually quite a mastermind of of combat. It's actually under his reign in which Jerusalem builds machines, kind of like some trebuchet, you know, turret, harpoon kind of thingies to take on their enemies that, that shoots arrows and hurls large stones. Like, this is under his leadership, and they're able to successfully fight in wars and campaigns. As a result of this, they conquer the Philistines and the Arabians um, and receive tributes from the Ammonites. Like, these are the historical enemies of the Israelite nation. And under Isaiah and under his faithful leadership, uh, they are able to to be able to do really well. In fact, Isaiah is described in, in his, you know, 52 years on the throne as one of the most prosperous of the kings up until the, like, up until the time of uh, Jehoshaphat, and it, well, since the time of Solomon, essentially, uh, well, it was Jehoshaphat that came before Isaiah, but essentially from Solomon, Isaiah was one of the most successful kings, successful in business, successful in economy, successful in combat, all of these things. Isaiah, towards the end of his life, then decides to, out of pride, uh, supersede the priests of the Levitical you know, Union, and burn incense on the altar to which he's struck with leprosy from God. He's driven from the temple and compelled to reside in a separate house until his death, which is like incredibly shameful way to die, like an incredible sad situation to end up in for Isaiah. It's like this successful, healthy, wealthy, 
famous king who then decides to defy the Lord out of pure ego and pride and dies a leper in a house separate from everyone else and then is even buried in a separate grave uh, in the field of the burial that belonged to the king. So he isn't buried with his family lineage because his body is riddled with leprosy. They bury him somewhere else as well. And it's at this point Isaiah dies. Like, this is a great tragedy for the nation, not only seeing Isaiah's story play out for all of them, seeing the downfall of the king, but now his death uh, has taken place too. And up until this point, Isaiah has already been proclaiming a message to not only Isaiah, but the rest of the nation of Israel as to the potential downfall that they will receive as a result of straying from faithfulness to the Lord. And now they've seen a king just absolutely participate in that. Isaiah's in this situation. And then where does he go, Blair? You know, I was just tripping out there because, um, you know, when you said Isaiah and Isaiah. Oh, yeah. Wow, tough. that is... That, <laughs> if you're listening and you're struggling to follow along with You've that. got a king, he's Isaiah. He is successful and then gets leprosy from doing all this bad stuff. Then you've got Isaiah the prophet. Yes, that's right. Amen. And and the um, Isaiah, U-Z-Z-I-A. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Isaiah, I-S-A-I-A-H. That's right. Correct. <laughs> right. So yeah. where does Isaiah then end up? He's he's probably lamenting the death of this king. He's seeing the, the, the faithlessness of the nation around him and he's been proclaiming it. What then happens to him in the story? Yeah, it was um, King Isaiah died and um, he was sitting on a lofty throne, verse 1, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Yeah, um, who though? It was the Lord, right? Like it, he sees Isaiah as Isaiah dies, but then in that year, it's actually Isaiah who gets transported in vision. Yes, to and then it's an amazing scene because you then see these mighty angels, seraphim, six wings, two covering faces, the feet, and two flying. Uh, and they're before the throne of God, and they, they're singing out, holy, holy, holy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this is always the response that we see when angelic beings or when humans, created beings, see the God, the almighty creator of the universe. The only natural response is to fall down into worship. Yeah, it's amazing to think about how us as sinful and broken humans defy God the most when we have the least right. Yeah. When like the holy angels, right? So like we're talking beings of immense power and righteousness. They see God and they're like full down immediately. That's right. They're like, oh, man, like, we are nothing compared to him. In fact, they're, they're the only ones that really realize their state. It's sin that has clouded us to the point where we think that, oh, yeah, defying God's okay. Uh, because, But for these angels, they're like, holy is the Lord of hosts. Like, that is who he is. He is righteous. He is holy. It is from him that all holiness and righteousness presides. He is the father of lights. You know, we can use all of those synonyms that the Bible gives. That is what they understand God to be. That is what they recognize him as. And then... And Isaiah does the same thing as well, which is great. Yeah. He, he, he takes a posture of... Well, as, as as every true disciple of Christ and of God should, he falls down and he he starts feeling his own unworthiness as well. Mm. And he, you know, in verse five it says, "It's all over. Um, I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Not only am I filthy, but I'm surrounded by filthiness." Yeah. Um. And and then he said, "But yet I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven, Heaven's armies." Um. Yeah, and then there's that interaction, an interesting interaction with the seraphim and the coal. Mm. It's actually like quite a beautiful 
scene here because Isaiah participates in a form of worship that the angels actually don't. And that is repentance. Is that, you know, all the, the rest of the, the angels, they're there like, oh man, you know, like, who, who is this God? What is, what is he about? What is he doing? Whereas, um, yeah, we've got like, I, I, Isaiah just recognizes himself. He's like, woe is me. The angels, they're like, holy, 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 as beings that are also perfect and holy. But Isaiah, he's like, woe is me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We can't get back to this passage yet. We need to give them our last quiz. Oh, absolutely. So the question, not to be missed, it's a fill-in-the-blank question. It says, And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and blank, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This is a Bible text from the book of Revelation, and you've got to fill in that blank there. What is the blank? Uh, and again, that question or the, the, the verse that you need to fill in, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and blank, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. If you think you know what that blank word is, please text us through at 0491064669 and we will, you'll get your name in the draw to win the prize. So yeah, check it out. Get amongst it. Absolutely. Again, that number is 0491064669. And in just 15 minutes, we are going to be spinning that wheel and you're going to have the opportunity to win our amazing prize there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And we're covering this story of Isaiah here. So up until this point, he's witnessed, firstly, the death, well, the unfaithfulness in the death of Isaiah. He's witnessed, secondly, the unfaithfulness of the nation surrounding him. He's witnessed, thirdly, the unfaithfulness and the, the uncleanliness of himself. Like, again, this is all processes that Jonah went through. You know, this is all things that Jonah went through, realizing, I don't want to do this mission. I don't want to be about this. I don't want to do it. Like, you know, I can't do it. Uh, I, this He had every single excuse because of all of these different challenges. Isaiah, in the same way, recognizes those challenges. But the marked difference here is that Isaiah is almost immediately willing to repent in verse 5. Continue on in verse 6. That's right. And the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal he'd taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Uh, and this is in the sanctuary in heaven there. They're, they're in the throne of God singing. This is where the scene is. Uh, he touches my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed your sins are forgiven. Mm, that's Amen. powerful. Powerful. And like, the, I think, I, I've talked about this probably a bunch on The Breakfast Show. Like, this is one of my favorite stories ever, is Isaiah is like experiencing repentance in this way that is just so stark. Because up until this point, like he's even been a prophet of the Lord up until this point, And his ministry up until he has this experience, is categorized by him walking around and just pronouncing judgment on everyone. And that's because the message of judgment is coming from the Lord. But he's just like, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you. All of you guys are unfaithful and you're unclean and you're causing the nation to fall away. And then he, when confronted with his own sinfulness before God and his very real and human condition, he says, hey, woe is me. 
Like th- that's his ultimate response. He says, "Woe is me! Uh, for, you know, I've seen the the for my own eyes. I've seen the Lord of Hosts, and He is far above me. And then He is cleansed. Here. His sin is purged. He is made." new and he's changed and that's the beautiful thing here he doesn't say woe is me i'm terrible and then he could either become you know fall into despair and just say i'll never change and we see that attitude held i think the uh, the, the the clearest example of that is the likes of uh, judas for example who fell into despair so heavily due to his betraying of jesus that he ultimately took his own life um or he could be proud about it like a satan say who you know ran with it and said oh well my you know my sinfulness and my uncleanliness i'm going to i'm going to keep it all to myself in fact i'm going to identify with it and that's how i'm going to live and that's how i'm going to be isaiah makes the right decision and says cleanse me lord and god really does god cleanses him from his sin but then verse eight here do you want to read that one for us this Powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, just pre- in prefacing that verse eight, there, I just want to draw out a theme. You mm-hmm. know, the, the the seraphim takes that altar, the, the burning coal from the mm-hmm. altar, right? Mm-hmm. And that altar, he uh, the coal he touches to his lips, and uh, and then it says, "Your guilt is removed, your sins are forgiven." The the imagery that's being drawn on there, that altar where the coal's taken from, is the altar of incense in the sanctuary system. Um, and the altar of incense was basically an altar of intercession where the prayers of the saints were presented before God. And um, earlier on in this passage, we saw when the verse 4, the temple was shook to its foundation, the entire building was filled with smoke, this, this smoke of intercession from that altar. And so, you know, you've got this picture of Isaiah coming and interceding before God, confessing his sin, coming before God. And then the result is that that coal comes um, and he is put on his lips, and his sins are forgiven. And this is a beautiful picture um, mm. of basically it, it's a it's an image. It's representing here the purifying and the refining power of divine grace to mm. free us from sins. That's the only place where our sins are taken away, mm-hmm. right? It's from the mm-hmm. grace of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he's now in a position where he's been um, cleansed from his sin, mm. and. His response is immediate, and I love what the response is in verse eight as we as we head into that. In response to being forgiven from his sins, experiencing that character transformation, um, and being touched with the holy fire, purifying fire of God, he then says this in verse eight: "I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to the people who will go for us? God needs a witness. God needs someone who's going to go out." and tell of the goodness of God. And Isaiah's response, he said, here I am, send me. That's powerful. That's, you know, when we talk about being called, you know, to to be a part of mission, to to do the work of God and whatnot, it's often we vision it as, oh, the preacher stood up the front and I felt convicted and, and whatnot. And people use that rhetoric of, I was called by the Lord, and, and that's really what it is. Like when we do, when we make those decisions and those strives to be a part of God's mission, it's because God is calling. But usually it's through the channel of either the Bible or a prayer or something like this. In this case, Isaiah is actually very really responding to the call of the Lord. The audible voice of God is speaking to him from heaven. And despite all of his failures, all of his shortcomings, every single reason in why he couldn't be used for mission, he sees that, hey, I am a saved sinner. I have been, so, I am someone who has been, who, who has received 
the salvation that God provides, the purging, the cleansing that he provides. Therefore, I am rightly qualified to be a part of his mission. And, the and I rea- want to take it to others. Yeah. And the reality is, is that you can firstly receive forgiveness of your sins today. And having received forgiveness of your sins, secondly, you can be used by God to share his word. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And Blair, hey, there's, there's no more. There's no more questions. There's no more questions. There's no more questions. It's just time to spin the wheel and give you guys some answers and tell you, mate, who's going to win? We've got heaps of people in the wheel for this week. So all we can do is spin the wheel. Here we go. Three, two, one. Okay, you guys can hear it. It's spinning. It's spinning. Oh, it's slowing oh, the down. The tension's building. Oh, it's... Oh, and... Oh. And we have a winner for this week congratulations to to valme for who both last week we actually highlighted her last week by saying that she had been one of the few people to almost like completely clean sweep the quiz last week this week very much on the same grind and and she didn't win last week she has won this week congratulations to valme for winning the prize the archaeological revealing the 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 truth the history of the kings of israel the archaeological truth of the bible as well that's gonna be a great book we are so stoked that you've won that valme and we're gonna get that out to you as soon as possible Hey, let's work through some of our uh, some of our questions here. We have how many letters did Paul write to individuals? Yeah, that's right. Well, the question, the answer to the question is, of course, four. He wrote first and second Timothy to his pro, uh, to Timothy his protege, and he also wrote a book to Titus and Philemon. Mm. So that's four a total of four letters. The rest were written to churches. Um, to different regions, but these ones were written to specific individuals to train them in or to communicate special truths that needed to be shared with those individuals, which, of course, and thank the Lord, they have application to all of us as believers uh, as well, but um, Mm. the immediate context was to those individuals. So that's a really, yeah, That's if you got that right, well done. Congratulations Mm. to those who sent it through. Uh, The second question that we asked was, what body of water, starting with M, was called the Great Sea in the Old Testament? And, of course, the answer to that is the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't an Olympic-sized swimming pool, as Lawson suggested or um, <laughs> wondered, uh, but it was the Mediterranean Sea, which does crop up in many places in the Old Testament and was referred to as the Great Sea. Uh, the third question that we asked was a true or false one. We asked, was Peter and Paul... Uh, they, Peter and Paul had a disagreement uh, from which they never recovered. Was this true or false? Uh, Lawson, what's the answer? Oh, it is false. Okay, and so the they answer, reconciled. Of course they did, because they're Christian. Amen. Like, and they, they, they're they like, were given the ministry of reconciliation. Absolutely. Well, the situation here in this case is that Peter is hanging out in one of the, you know, the regions in, you know, one of the cities in Asia and whatnot, in the Asia Minor area, so with a bunch of Gentiles, and you have this, you know, Paul is there with them, with the Gentile Christians, and then a group of believers. Believers. The Bible says from James, but what this is essentially trying to say is from Jerusalem, from the headquarters there in Jerusalem of the church, walk over, you know, to say hello to the Christians there. And Peter had fallen back into some of his, you know, separationist, isolationist 
Jewish, you know, tendencies. Well, he'd had that amazing experience in Acts fifteen, uh, Acts, Acts ten, where he yeah. had seen the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. Yeah, right? and and specifically, he says of himself, like, I have been sh- told to call no man unclean, unclean. Or, or common, yeah. and. He so he has this awesome experience, but then again, Peter, being despite being like one of the leaders of the church, he learns lessons slowly sometimes, doesn't he? Well, despite also being a prophet of the Lord, like yeah. he falls short in a moral sense here, and he decides to separate himself from the group of Gentiles, and Paul just calls him out to his face. Paul just says, "Hey." Get help! Like, <laughs> stop doing this! Like, this is this is not okay. This is awful. This is against the gospel that we preach. And they did have some tension there, but it's awesome that then Peter reflects on the passage as well and says, "Nah, me and Paul, we're good." And Paul later writes. Uh, Peter obviously uh, later writes. He talks of Paul, his beloved brother Paul. So they mm. obviously reconciled, mm. and um, yeah, were had a spirit of Christ towards one another. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and look, we also asked Zimri. Uh, Zimri was the shortest reigning king of northern Israel. How many days did he reign for? This wasn't the height question. <laughs> it was the length of reign. And he reigned for only seven days. Not very long. Uh, done and dusted and uh, certainly the shortest reign that was out there. And our fill in the blank question, we said, um, and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are the four quarters of the earth, Gog and blank. The mm. correct answer was Magog. Gog mm. and Magog. Uh, Magog from Revelation chapter 20, verse 8. So congratulations to you who participated in the test, uh, the quizzes. Well done, those who got it right. We're really proud of you. Keep getting involved each week. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic work. You are listening to the Bible on The Breakfast Show. Amen. We've been reading it. We've been talking about it. And now you are with us as we are closing out the show. It's we, been fun. We've Thanks for joining us. awesome programming for the rest of the day coming up. Tassie Encounters right after this. But you guys have been joining us throughout the week. We want to encourage you guys. Have an amazing weekend. Spend time with your family. Spend time at church. And spend time with Jesus growing in faith, growing in love, and growing in your knowledge in Him. God be For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.